the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I am happy to be with you in uh, the college convention for the Central SUS Diocese. And the theme of this convention is about orthodoxy. I like tonight to introduce two other terms and to see how these three terms are connected with each other. One term is orthopraxy and the other term is orthocardia. I'm sure you know, you heard the word praxis in the church. The praxis means actions or acts. The acts of the apostle, we call it the book of praxis. So orthopraxy means your action, the right actions. Why we call it orthopraxy? Because orthopraxy should reflect what you believe in. And you believe in orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is the right way to glorify God and with the right and the sound doctrine. So orthopraxy is reflecting your belief system and should come from a right motive, a right heart. That's what we call orthocardia. Cardiac means heart. So orthopraxy is the reflection in your behavior of what you believe and it comes from the right heart. These three things should actually work in harmony together because you cannot have one without the others. If you have one without the others, then there is something wrong. And people usually ask, which is more important? Orthopraxy, which means the right actions, or orthodoxy, the right beliefs, or orthocardia, which means the right heart and the right motive. As they say in Arabic, as long as you have the right intention, then it's okay. Whatever you do will be accepted. Of course, that's not right. St. James, in James chapter 1 and verse 22, emphasized the importance of orthopraxy. When he said, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. When I hear the word of God, I form my belief system. And this belief system should be reflected in my behavior. That's why St. James said, Be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. And he gave also another example in James chapter 2 from verse 14. He said, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says, he has faith, but does not have works. Can faith save him? For example, St. James is saying, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and you have faith that God can provide, so one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, and you have faith that God can provide. God actually fed the multitude from the five loaves and two fish, so he can provide for them. But St. James said, if you tell them, depart in peace, be warmed 
and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if does not has work, it is dead. So you cannot say, I am orthodox. I, I have the true faith and I know the right doctrine. But if this does not reflect in your actions, then it will not save you, it will not help you. Faith without works is dead. The same St. Paul said to his disciple Titus in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. He told him, this is a faithful saying. This is right doctrine. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. He was the bishop of Crete. So he told him as the bishop of Crete, I want you always to affirm these things constantly, all the time, that those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. These things are good and profitable to men. So, many other verses in the scripture is telling us that believing only, if it does not reflect in your life, how you conduct yourself, it will not benefit you. Actually, the opposite is true. Your behavior can reflect your faith. As St. James said, let me see your faith by your works. Show me your faith by your works. In the early church, actually, they used when they see somebody is different than the rest of the people. They say, why this person is different? And the answer, because he is Christian. He's Christian. So his conduct was different than the others because he believed in God. Now let us see, do we have the right faith? How would we know if we as Orthodox have the right faith? So I want to give you a little bit of history to know why you are saying we, the Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox, have the right faith. You know, in the beginning of Christianity, the disciples of Christ were called just the disciples. Even the word Christian was not known. Sometimes they called them the disciples. Sometimes they called them the way, because the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth. Sometimes they called themselves the sect, or they are called by others a sect. And you can see all these titles in the book of Acts. For example, you read St. Paul went to this city and he found disciples there. What does it mean, found disciples there? Found Christian. Then in Antioch, they said it's confusing when you say disciples. People will ask disciples of whom we're going to say disciples of Christ. So in Antioch, they decided to call the believers Christians. It will be easy. When we call them Christian, they are the disciples of Christ. And this title started in Antioch and spread all over the world. 
So anybody believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is called Christian. And until year 451, all Christians were one in church in communion with each other. Whether in East or in West, all of them one in church. There was no denomination, but there were five important sees, centers, where uh, Archbishop or Patriarch or Pope resides. You know, Christianity started in Jerusalem, then it spread to Alexandria, Antioch, and Asia Minor, Ephesus, now Turkey, and Rome. Turkey was not there at that time, because Turkey is Constantinople, and Constantinople was founded by Emperor Constantine. So at that time, it was Asia Minor, Ephesus. So these were the five seas, Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, Ephesus, and Rome. So Antioch was the first place where the followers of Christ were called the Christian. Asia Minor was not one of the very old seas, although John the Beloved preached there. But as I told you, when King Constantine became emperor, he made Christianity the official religion of his empire. And he wanted to build a new Rome in Asia Minor. So he called it Constantinople. And now it's called Turkey. And it, it became one of the five seas during the time of Ecumenical Council. And when actually you visit Constantinople, which is Turkey, the Ecumenical Patriarch actually his see in Istanbul, Constantinople. And you say, for example, we Coptic, we say the Sea of St. Mark. Then what is the sea? Who is the apostle? We know it's very recent. It, it started fifth century. It's not from the time of Christ. But we will tell you, it's an Andrew. How come? Although John the Beloved is the one who actually preached in Ephesus and in Asia Minor. Why they chose Andrew? They said if Constantinople is the new Rome, and Rome claims that their apostle is St. Peter, so if Constantinople is like a sister to Rome, that's why they chose Andrew, because Andrew and Peter are brothers. And they took the relics of St. Andrew from uh, Rome and tra translocated in Constantinople. That's just for your information. If you visit there and tell you it is the Sea of St. Andrew, you know why it's called Sea of St. Andrew. Therefore, by the middle of the 5th century, 451, there were five seas, Rome, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. And all these churches attended the first three ecumenical councils. The Council of Nicaea, 325, Council of Constantinople, 381, and Council of Ephesus, 431. The first split. It happened in year 451 in the Council of Chalcedon, and it was about the nature of Christ. And many people right now, they are saying, is it a theological split or political split or misunderstanding of terminology? Yes, there was a theological split. Yes, there is some political elements, definitely, 
but there was a theological split, definitely. It, it, it was not just only political or misunderstanding of terminology. In this council, several churches did not agree on the tomb of Leo. Leo was the Pope of Rome, which speaks about two separate natures in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those churches which accepted Leo's tomb were called Chalcedonian churches because they supported and adopted the Council of Chalcedon as a communal council and they believed in diophesis. Thesis means nature, diophesis means two natures. And those which did not accept it were called the non-Chalcedonian churches. They believed in meiophesis. Meiophesis, one from two. Monophesis means single, single nature, monophesis. Mea, one from two. And as we say in the Divine Liturgy about the humanity and divinity, he made it one with his divinity without mingling, without confusion, and without alteration. And there was a real union between the divinity and the humanity. And if you are interested to read more about this, there is a wonderful book written by St. Cyril of Alexandria called The Unity of Christ. Unity of Christ. It speaks about how the two natures were united together in a unique way, in a mystical way, without mingling, without confusion, and without... So, we, the Coptic Orthodox Church, are non-Chalcedonian, which means we believe in mea thesis, not in monothesis, not in diophesis. And we follow the teaching of St. Cyril of Alexandria, you can find it in this book, Unity of Christ, which, who was one of the greatest theologians. He said in Greek, mea thesis to theo logosis arcomini, means one, mea means one, not single, nature of the word of God incarnate, the incarnated word of God, one nature. We thus believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is a perfect human and a perfect divine. These two natures were united together without mingling, without confusion, and without alteration. This was the first split. So by the middle of the 5th century, Christians were divided into two groups, Chalcedonian and non-Chalcedonian. The second split, and it is known in the history by the Great Schism in year 1054. And it happened among the Chalcedonian, and sometimes called the Great Schism, or sometimes they call it East-West Schism. It was about a Latin word, filioque. Filioque means the sun, filiation, the sun. So Rome added to the creed who about the Holy Spirit, who proceed from the Father and the Son. The word the Son in Latin means filioque. The East refused this addition because in John chapter 15, it is very clear the Lord Jesus Christ said about the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father. And if we say proceed from the Father and the Son, then there is two parents, two origins, the Father and the Son. And in Nicene Creed also it is stated, we believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 26. So, Rome added the word filioque in Latin 
which means the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Constantinople, Asia Minor, Turkey, rejected this term, and a split happened among the Chalcedonian churches. So, by year 1054, we have three groups. The non-Chalcedonian churches, they believe in Miaphysis, one nature, procession of the Holy Spirit from the Father on. The other group, the Eastern Chalcedonian churches, believe in two natures, diathesis, and the procession of the Holy Spirit from the Father only, like the non-Chalcedonian. The Western Chalcedonian churches, diathesis, two natures, procession of the Holy Spirit from the Father and the Son. And you can see how our church kept the faith unchanged. The East is changing and the West is changing, but the Coptic Church and all the non-Carcerinian Church kept the faith unchanged. That's why we say we have the Orthodox faith. So, how to differentiate between three, these three groups? It is very difficult actually to call this group is the non-Carcerinian Churches who believe in Mayafesis and procession of the Holy Spirit from the Father only. So, each group took a name. Nowadays, many people say, you know, when Christ came, there was no Catholic or Protestant or uh, Orthodox. Yes, as I explained, all of us were called Christian. But with the divisions, with the split, now each group has a name. The non-Chalcedonian churches, we call them Oriental Orthodox churches, like the Coptic Orthodox Church. The Eastern Chalcedonian churches, we call them Eastern Orthodox churches. The Western Chalcedonian Church, that's the Roman Catholic Churches. Another split happened. It happened in the Roman Catholic Church, the Western Chalcedonian Churches. And this around the 16th century. A Catholic monk from Germany called Martin Luther, of course different from Martin Luther King, wanted to reform the Catholic Church. Why? Because Catholic Church adopted many things, actually, not biblical, like the primacy of Peter, like infallibility of the Pope, many, many things actually, purgatory, indulgences of the saints. So he wanted to reform the Catholic Church. So he split from the Catholic Church and protested many practices done by the Catholic Church. So if that is the faith that was delivered from the apostles to us, that's the faith. The Catholic Church actually start to drift from this. So Martin Luther wanted to reform and he protested all this. But instead of taking the church here to the middle where Orthodox Church lies, he took it to the other extreme. So you will find Orthodoxy between Catholicism on one side and Protestantism on the other side. And he started the Lutheran Church and they called themselves Protestant. Protestant means they protested. They did not protest the Orthodox, by the way. They protested the Catholic, not the Orthodox. And after Luther, they called for liberal theology. Liberal theology means what? You can actually, by your own perception and by your understanding, can describe God. So there is no boundaries. We, the Orthodox, and the traditional churches 
our understanding of God is according to the revelation that God revealed to us and the early church fathers and the apostles delivered to us. But liberal theology doesn't have to do with the revelation of God or the tradition that handed down from the apostles toward us. Therefore, many other denominations started to be formed after that, like Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, etc. The fourth split. Again, it happened in the Roman Catholic Church in the year 1531. In the Catholic Church, they don't have divorce, period. Now, they call it annulment. But until now, they say no divorce, period. So King Henry VIII wanted to divorce his wife, but the Catholic Church did not approve it. So he split from the Catholic Church and divorced his wife. And he made himself the head of the church. And this church called the Anglican Church or the Church of England. And until now, the king or the queen of United Kingdom are the head of the church, not the Archbishop of Canterbury. The head of the church is the king or the queen, not the Archbishop of Canterbury. When people start to immigrate from Europe to America, the Anglican Church, when came to America, now the head is not the queen because he came to America. So they formed a church, we call it Episcopal Church. So the Episcopal Church is the Anglican Church outside UK. That's Episcopal Church. We, the Oriental Orthodox Churches, are the six churches. The Coptic Orthodox Church, Eritrean Orthodox Church, Ethiopian Orthodox Church, Syrian Orthodox Church, Indian Orthodox Church, and Armenian Orthodox Church. This is our family. The Eastern Orthodox Church, now there are 16 different churches and whose names are based on the country, like Greek Orthodox Church, Russian Orthodox Church, Romanian Orthodox Church, etc. There are 16 different churches. So just to understand again where our Coptic Church and why we say we have the true faith, orthodoxy. As I explained quickly in this very, very quick look at the history of the division of the church, we did not change what we received from the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles. So the Council of Chalcedon, that's that the first split into non-Chalcedonian and Chalcedonian. The non-Chalcedonian is the Oriental Orthodox Church. Then second split among the Chalcedonian Church into two groups, the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman. Eastern, they rejected the Filioque, Roman accepted the Filioque. Then in the Roman Orthodox Church, another split, the Lutheran Church and the Anglican Church, and then from the Roman Catholic also, and these Protestant churches, many, many denominations, they say now it's more than 32,000 different denominations because of the liberal theology. More than 32,000 denominations. So, this introduction I want, uh, about the church history, I want to share with you to tell you why you are saying 
we have the true faith. Then let's speak about, as I told you, how orthodoxy and orthopraxy work together. I told you orthodoxy means orthodox faith, the, the right way to worship God, the right way to glorify God, that's orthodoxy. Orthopraxy, how this expressed in everyday life. One of the main objectives of the scripture is to present us with the right belief. For example, as I told you, John chapter 15, Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. I cannot add on the Son. I cannot. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, if you add anything, God will add the plagues that's written in the book. If you omit anything, God will omit your name from the book of life. You cannot add anything. So one of the main objective is to have the right belief. Why? Because right belief actually will produce in you right actions. That's orthopraxy. For example, if you turn your Bible to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7 and 8, uh, after Moses departed and God actually said to Joshua, you will be in charge of these people. Joshua was so scared, so afraid what he should do. So God told him, Joshua 1, starting from verse 6, be strong and of good courage. For to these people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. That, pay attention, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. To do according to the law. The law, in general, is that what you believe in. At that time, during the time of Joshua, it was the law of Moses. That what you believe in. So the Lord told him, conduct yourself, act according to the law. As he tells us now, conduct yourself according to your orthodox belief. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left. That you may prosper wherever you go. You want to prosper? You want to succeed? Don't turn from the word of God, from the true faith, to the right or to the left. Verse 8. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Again, God emphasizing if you want to prosper, if you want to make your way prosperous, don't deviate from the word of God. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So, in this passage, the instruction is to be careful, to obey all the commandments of God. But how to obey the commandment of God if I don't know them? If I know them, then it will make me have the right beliefs. But knowing them is not enough. Knowing them is orthodoxy, not enough. You need to be careful to obey it. Which means, let the word of God, let your faith 
influence your action. And when this happens, then your belief, your orthodoxy, will impact your actions, your orthopraxy. Another example. I'm going to tell you a verse that all of you may be memorized by heart. In Psalm 119 and verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. What does it mean? Does it mean just because I hide the word of God in my heart I will not heart, so it will impact my life. When I lie, the word of God tell me, no, don't lie. So, my beliefs affecting my actions. And throughout the scripture, you can find that these two things work together. As important as right doctrine is, but the right doctrine has no value if it does not impact your action. Correct doctrine does not lead to correct actions, then leads to sin and hypocrisy. Again, correct doctrine that does not lead to correct actions, it will lead to sin and hypocrisy. Another verse in James chapter 4 and verse 17. Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So if you have the right doctrine, means you know how to do good. But if you don't do it, then it is sin. That's why I told you right doctrine. Without right actions, it is sin and hypocrisy. To him who know to do good means orthodoxy. You know what's right and what's wrong. And does not do it, no orthodoxy. To him it is sin. This was exactly like the scribe and the Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees, scribes, they transcribed the scripture. Pharisees, they were very, very strict in applying the word of God and the law. But they did not, they applied in a hypocritical way. That's why the Lord in Matthew 23, verse 27 and 28, he told them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly. Have you visited the cemetery? It's roses, beautiful from outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. They, they know the right doctrine. Do you remember when uh, the wise men went to Herod Palace and asked it? where the king of the Jews is born? Quickly they have the answer. He is born in Bethlehem because it is written in Micah and they were able to, to get the reference. They know the word of God, but they did not apply it in their life. That's why the Lord told them in Matthew 23 verse 28, even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Can you believe the people who interpret the law, they are living without law? Lawlessness, what does mean lawlessness? They are living without law. So the people who interpret the law to others, they are lawless. 
the third word it has to come from the right heart because maybe I can do good works to show off to be praised by men for the wrong motive that's why the third word which is orthocardia means the right heart the right motive the right intention is very very important you cannot separate these three things from each other what you believe in your mind what your motives in your heart and how you conduct yourself they are one together that's why the Lord told us love the Lord your God from all your heart from all your heart you cannot have divided heart part of it with the world and part of it with God you cannot have divided mind a man double-minded will stumble in all his ways so you need to have the right heart to love the Lord God from all your heart everything you do you do it for the glory of God everything you do you do it for the right motive because you want to glorify God I like this verse in 1st Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 whatever you do eating or drinking on anything else do it all for the glory of God that is the orthocardia everything I do it for the glory of God that's the motive let me give you in in few minutes some application we as orthodox we believe in the importance of sacraments for example for salvation baptism charismation uh, confession communion etc so that's orthodoxy I'm sure if I ask it any one of you what are the sacraments of the church you will answer and tell me the seven sacraments are the essential for salvation you're gonna tell me yes etc etc so that's orthodoxy but what about orthopraxy are we living these sacraments or not baptism is not doesn't mean that 20 or 18 years ago my parents took me and I got baptized and that's it baptism is death to the world the, the old man dies in the water of baptism and now you are a new creature so you are risen with Christ in baptism and in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 St. Paul says if you are risen with Christ set your mind on things above not on things on earth put to death your members on earth Romans chapter 8 so are you living the baptism every day do you say it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me it will not benefit you that 20 years ago my parents baptized me and now actually I'm not living this baptism I'm not dying to the world every day another thing chrismation all of you you know it is important to be chrismated to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit and I'm sure all of you know this verse you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit abiding but are you grieving the Holy Spirit are you quenching the Holy Spirit are you resisting the Holy Spirit 
Are you defining your body which is the temple of the Holy Spirit? St. Paul was surprised at the Corinthians, how they defined their body. And he told them, don't you know that you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit abide in you? He who defies the temple of God, God will, will discipline him or punish him. Do, do you live the chrismation or not? Repentance and confession. I'm sure all of us will know that confession is a very important element in our repentance. Repentance, several steps, ends by confession. And it was practiced in the early church, like in Acts chapter 19 and verse 18. All those who believed came confessing their sins. Many, many verses, I'm sure you know it. Now confession actually is not practiced by many of us. And those who practice confession, actually it turn into counseling or discussion or social time with Abuna. And that's it. How many of us actually practice repentance and confession in the right way? Where is the orthodoxy here? You know the orthodoxy, you know the beliefs. Same for communion. Every Sunday, Abuna takes hour almost to give communion to the people. Which means many, many people take communion. Very good, praise the Lord. But how many of us in communion who are in union with God? I remember the, the story of the woman who had bleeding for so many years. She came from behind and touched the hem of the garment of the Lord. And she was healed. So the Lord, all of a sudden, said, who touched me? And the disciples were laughing. Who touched you? The, the multitude are thronging you from every side. There was a huge crowd around the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, who touched me? But the Lord said, no. There is a power came out of me. Power of healing. Then this lady came and told him, it's me, Master. I think after each divine liturgy, and there are 300, 400 persons taking communion. At the end, the Lord said, who touched me? And he said, who touched you? Today, actually, give communion to 300 persons. But the Lord says, but a power came for healing and cure, spiritual healing, a spiritual cure, maybe for 10 persons only. What about the 390? Again, are we living what we believe in? Communion is a union. Some of us who are living dual life. Dual life. Saturday night, we maybe we are in nightclub until 1 or 2 in the morning. Sunday morning, we came to the church and we take communion. How? Where is the orthopraxy here? Where is the, the actions that reflect my belief system? Again, faith without works is dead. And apply what I said about the sacraments on any other belief. Fasting. Are we fasting? If you don't fast in this age, why God give you health more and more, are strong and healthy? When are you going to fast? If you don't discipline your body at this age, when are you going to discipline your body? St. Paul said, I discipline my body and bring it into the objection. Lest after I preach to others, I myself be rigid. Many youth actually they start fasting, but they break it for just any reason. 
for just in the reason. Birthday, Christmas party, whatever. I break today, and that's it. Or the the fasts, but according to their own way. So, for example, Bezos, cheese is fasting. Uh, coffee with milk is fasting, and so on. What is the discipline? What is the discipline? I discipline my body and bring it into the objection list after I preach others. I myself will not be disqualified. And I can go on and on and on and on about you know all the beliefs that you know very well. If these beliefs did not turn into action, if these beliefs did not turn into orthopraxy, coming from the right heart, orthocardia, it will not benefit you. So I hope this message is very, very clear. These three things, you cannot separate them from each other. Your belief system, your behavior, and your heart. Glory be to God forever and forever.